You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Okay, then we're going to read from God's Word, uh, as Ross said, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read the first 25 verses. If you haven't already found the page, it's on page 1102 in the Red Church Bibles. I'll just pray before I read. Just want to praise you, Heavenly Father, so much for this passage. Pray you'll open our eyes and speak to us through it. Give us a fresh sight of who you are and all you've done through Jesus, our Lord. We pray that you will bless and empower Chris as he speaks to us. And it all for your glory. Amen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. I wonder who in your life would be the last person you'd expect to become a Christian. So who in your life, I'm not talking about celebrities or people in the news, but who in your life would be the last person you'd expect to become a Christian? Maybe it's the family member who never engages in spiritual conversations. It's like they've got a radar, they know one's coming up, so they change the conversation straight away. Maybe it's the child who was taken to church every Sunday, heard the Bible most days, was baptised as a teenager. Now, much to your broken heart, they've deconstructed their faith, renouncing everything that they once held dear, and you still do. Maybe it's a work colleague who's part of the LGBTQ community. They're in a committed same-sex marriage. They're very successful and well-liked at work. They're volunteers in the community. They're a lovely person, but they consider the teachings of Christianity to be harmful. Maybe it's a neighbor who's always on the doorstep with a can in his hand or a joint in his mouth. The police are often at their house because of loud arguments between him and his partner. You think he's dealing or he's just got lots of friends. Maybe it's the super accomplished parents at pickup. They've got the successful career. They've got a big house, a new car, lots of holidays. They're friendly. They come to the odd Christmas event, but they show no signs of seriously considering the claims of Christ. Or maybe it's a person from the metallic age, to use Paul Mallard's reference, somebody with silver in their hair, gold in their teeth, lead in their boots. Who, <laughs> I was going to get chopped down in a minute, uh, see eyes on me, I'm not looking at anyone. Um, maybe that person who went to Sunday school as a child, who would take Christian on the census, but still thinks that as long as you're a good person, that's really all that matters. Well, whoever you're thinking about, my prayer this week has been that this passage of scripture will encourage you to keep on witnessing to them. Because if Saul of Tarsus can become a Christian, then anyone else can too. 
So this morning we're going to see three things from the passage. We're going to see someone move from death to life. Someone move from fear to family. And someone move from havoc to havoc. And that's not a typo that's meant to be there. So if you're new, if you're just visiting today, you're very welcome. We've been looking at the book of Acts uh, this year. We're looking at 12 uh, sermon series. So we're not looking at all the bits. I jokingly say just the bits I like. Um, But no, okay, I'm joking there, by the way. Okay. Um, Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's continuing in his ministry. The way Jesus is doing that is his people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, go out and speak about Jesus. And our key verse has been Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, but um, power will come on you when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Uh, Sorry, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which we saw when Peter stood up at Pentecost. You'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, which we thought about last week at Stephen's persecution. The church went out to Judea and Samaria, started talking. And then today, to the end of the earth, we're going to see what happens today, this morning. And hopefully, as we've been studying Acts, you've been encouraged to see that God uses unlikely people at unlikely times to do unlikely things. And today, God is going to use one of the most unlikely of people to be his chief witness to the ends of the earth. And Saul's conversion, or Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion is so significant that it's mentioned three times in the book of Acts. Here in Acts 9, we've got Luke's account. And then in Acts 22 and Acts 26, you've got Saul, who by that time has changed his name to Paul by Depot, and he's now preaching it to uh, a big crowd and then to Agrippa and his team a little bit later. And we will reference those two chapters a bit as we go on this morning. But again, let me pray and then we'll dig into the passage. Father God, thank you that your work of salvation is so great that even the most violent and hard of hearts you can break into. And Father, we pray that you continue to do that work today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly, we're going to see someone move from death to life. Now, when I was growing up, I lived right opposite, or opposite my house when I grew up, was my high school playing fields. So outside my bedroom window, I could see the field. The first field, and it was split into two sections. So the first section was this big field, which had two huge rugby pitches. And then the second section was a little bit further away, and that had a smaller football pitch. Now, the two sections were divided by a wooded area that also went down the side of the football pitch, and there were trees all around the rugby field as well. And I was very blessed. I spent many days as a young person either playing sports or uh, climbing conquer trees or playing a game called Manhunt. Now, I don't know if you know Manhunt. Some people are giving me the eyes to say they do. Uh, But Manhunt is like a big, giant game of tick. You can hide in trees, in bushes, behind walls. It would be one person's job to hunt down all the other competitors. It was like a less violent version of the Hunger Games. Now, this game could go on for hours or until somebody got called in for tea or it was getting too dark. Back in those days where you could stay out and do stuff like that. 
Now, in our passage today, we see two games of manhunt being played. Okay, the first game we're going to see is Saul hunting down Christians. Have a look with me at chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found there anyone who belonged to the way, which was the name they gave to the Christians, whether men or women, he may take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So, okay, let's see what's going on. Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. So Saul is trying to stop the Acts chapter 1 verse 8 command. And this is what I love about God. Because little does Saul know, but he's actually going to be the one who God's going to use to help fulfill Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now, what do we know about Saul of Tarsus? Well, I'll let Saul tell you himself. This comes from when he's talking to a crowd in Acts 22. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cecilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. So he's a bright guy. He knows the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He's fluent in them. He knows lots about Judaism. He says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this, of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. Um, and he, you know, this is Saul. But the key word there I want you to pick up is the word zealous. Now, I had to look it up myself in a dictionary, but it means this. Zealous means that you are enthusiastic about something. The problem is Saul's enthusiasm was for killing and arresting Christians. If you could bottle Saul into a fragrance, he would be called Demeter Funeral Home Perfume, which is actually a real perfume. I looked it up online. He was a man obsessed with death and who stank of death. He was hunting down men and women so he could destroy Jesus's church. Now, if we lived in the first century, and I did look this up on Google, and we were asked to rank the 150 so million people who were living at that time into a list of the most likely people to become a Christian, Saul wouldn't even make the list. And yet there was another manhunt happening. So Saul was hunting down Christians. God was hunting Saul. Look at verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So the hunter becomes the hunted. So God hunts Saul down. And the way I want to do this is just very quickly, we're going to look at this hunting from the ground level and then we're going to go up to 30,000 feet and see what's going on. Okay, so what's happening on the ground? Well, we're told Jesus Christ appears to Saul. Saul sees this magnificent light, is knocked to the ground, and then Jesus speaks to Saul. And it's fascinating what he says, doesn't he? 
he says, I'm, this is me, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. So what's happening here? Jesus is saying, you know, you cannot separate me from the church. The body, the church is the body of Christ. So to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. Now, Saul, obviously this is so dramatic, it's probably taken him by surprise, but Saul is still able to ask two really good questions, one that Ross has already talked about. Um, Who are you? Who are you, Lord? That's what he's saying. Now, the word Lord there is just like a polite way of saying sir. He's not calling them Lord and Master and God. He's just, who are you, Lord? And then in, so he's, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then in Acts 22, when Paul tells this testimony, it says then, when Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, Saul also then says, what shall I do, Lord? And in our verse, in verse 6, it says, now get up. Now, these questions are questions we all need to ask about Jesus. Saul is meeting the risen Lord Jesus. Now, this is conjecture, so you've got to be careful. You're not going to find this in the Bible. But it's probably highly probable that Saul knew or was part of the decision to have Jesus crucified. Considering his position in Judaism at the time of Jesus' death, it's possible that Saul could have witnessed the death of Jesus. But now, though, he's got the risen Jesus speaking to him now. It wasn't a subjective vision. It wasn't a dream. It was the objective appearance of the resurrected and glorified Jesus Christ. So in Saul's mind just must be exploding at this point. Jesus is alive. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Wow. Do we know Jesus like that? Have we had that kind of encounter where we can see who he is? Because when you know who Jesus is, the next question must be, what do you want me to do? You see, when we meet the real Jesus, we have to be brought to our knees. You see, the light of Jesus' holiness, it exposes how utterly filthy our hearts are. The essence of Jesus' divinity reveals how insignificant we are. The lordship of Jesus' rule shows how arrogant we've been to live independently of him. The eternal nature of Jesus unmasks how much we reek of death. You see, when we see the real Jesus, we have to fall to our knees and in humble submission ask, what shall I do, Lord? Have you reached this point? Have you seen yourself in light of Jesus? Are you aware of the filth, the insignificance, the arrogance, the death that you carry? If so, it's only Jesus who can offer you forgiveness and peace and purpose and life. So fall on your knees today and cry out because Jesus is waiting to give you life. And if you're a Christian here today, then you've not had Jesus appear to you like Saul. But that doesn't make you any less of a Christian. You see, Saul met Jesus in the flesh. You've met Jesus as the Spirit has put Jesus in your heart. It's the same Spirit 
It's the same saviour and it's the same hunting. You see, let's think about this hunting from 30,000 feet. So we've seen what it looks like from ground level. Let's go up high. You see, when I used to play manhunt as a teenager, there was always a tree I used to climb. And this tree was amazing. I was up there, I could be up there for an hour. You'd see the hunter running past because he had no clue. And then also from the height of this tree, you could also see where everybody else had hidden as well. Because being high up gives another kind of perspective. So what stands out in this passage as we look from a, a grey height is the sovereign grace of God through Jesus Christ. You see, Saul did not decide for Christ. He was going to persecute Christ, wasn't he? He was all about hunting Christians. Rather, it was Jesus who decided for him and hunted Saul. Now, you could at this point raise an objection about this being fair or not. After all, shouldn't Saul be allowed to choose to follow Jesus? Jesus hunting Saul down sounds like one of those David Attenborough documentaries where we know what happens, only the prey ends up getting eaten. But we have to remember that sovereign grace is both gentle and gradual. It doesn't trample on human personality, rather the reverse. For grace enables human beings to be truly human. Remember, it's sin which imprisons, but it's grace that liberates. The grace of God so frees us from bondage of our pride, of our arrogance, of our self-centeredness. And it's this grace that enables us to repent and believe in Jesus. No, it's sovereign grace that frees us from death and gives us life. Now, with regards to fairness about grace, grace isn't fair. It's not fair on God. We reject God. We rebel against God. We choose death instead of life. And yet God, in his great love, in his great grace, hunts us down so that we can receive life. Now, why do some people receive this life and others don't? I don't know the answer to that question. But a better question, perhaps, is why does anyone get this life at all? If you've received this life, if you enjoy life with Jesus, if you can say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, there's nothing you can boast about. But only praise God for the grace he has shown you. And we can never be sure in whom this grace is working. But we know it's God who always makes the first move. And we are to be Jesus' witnesses, wherever we are, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing. And it might just be that the sovereign grace of God is working through you and me to hunt someone else down so that they may receive and enjoy life with Jesus. And Saul's conversion should also persuade us to expect more from God in relation to the unconverted. There are many Saul of Tarsuses in our world today. Maybe those people you were thinking of right at the beginning of this sermon. They are like Saul in so many ways. They're people who are richly endowed with natural gifts of intellect and character. 
They will be men and women of personality, energy, initiative and drive. They will have the courage of their non-Christian convictions. They will be totally sincere, yet sincerely mistaken. Some may be hard, stubborn, even fanatical in their rejection of Jesus Christ. But none of them are beyond his sovereign grace. You see, we need more faith. We need more holy expectation. We need more zeal to be praying for people so that Christ may lay hold of them. You see, friends, there's nothing greater than when God moves someone from death to life. What about point number two, from fear to family? Now, a lot of time when we talk about being Jesus' witnesses, we we always talk about the fear we have. Uh, Enrico Tice, the famous evangelist, uh, he talks about fear in his book, Honest Evangelism. Rico Tice says that for all of us to be a witness, there's a pain line we have to cross in order to be used by Jesus. So it might be the pain line of being possibly rejected by a friend or family member. It may be the pain line of being possibly ridiculed at school as you talk about your faith. It may be the pain line of possibly jeopardizing a career as you witness to your boss. It may be the pain line of talking to your partner about Jesus. Now, while I don't want to minimize any fear we may face when crossing our own pain lines, none can compare with the fear Ananias must have felt when he was asked to cross his own pain line. Have a look at verse 7. It says, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So again, think about the irony of this. Saul was heading to Damascus to bind the hands of Christians to bring them to Jerusalem. But what's happening now? Saul is blind and he's being led by the hand into Damascus by others. And yet at the same time, verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And that's a real street in Damascus. You can check it out on Google later. Um, And uh, as for a man from Tarsus named Saul, he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias must have have thought he'd heard wrong. Saul, Saul who hunts Christians... Saul who destroys churches? Saul who stinks of death? No, no, I must, have, I must have heard wrong here, Lord. Now, again, this is conjecture, so don't shoot me for this. But there's a chance that Ananias could have well known some of the young people who'd been widowed by Saul. Perhaps some of Ananias' own friends had been killed at the hands of Saul. Would Ananias cross the pain line well verse 15 tells us ananias but the lord said to ananias go 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Again, think about this. Saul had gone to Damascus to bring Christians back to Jerusalem where they would stay and Christianity would die. That was what Saul was about to do. That was his plan. And yet what's God's plan? He's the one who's going to take the name of Jesus to the Gentile world. It's amazing. God uses unexpected people to do unexpected things. But again, none of this is going to happen unless Ananias is willing to cross the pain line. Look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you, again, objective, Jesus resurrected, glorified, not a vision, on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, I love it when there's people far more clever than I, got more degrees than Fahrenheit. They tell you little things about the Bible, which you'd never get. Okay, so for example, Ananias. Does anyone want to guess what his name means? You might know. His name means God is gracious. How great is that? Ananias, God is gracious. He crosses the pain line and he goes to Saul. Ananias addressed him as brother Saul. They could, be, they could well be the first words Saul heard as a Christian. Brother Saul. And yet Ananias was probably still fearful when he went to Saul. But through obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit, he crossed the pain line. It's no wonder a guy called William Barclay calls Ananias one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian faith. Oh, how we want some more forgotten heroes in our churches today, don't we? How we want more people like Ananias. I want to be like Ananias. I want to be like him so through obedience and the power of the Spirit, I will cross the pain lines in my own life too. And may the example of Ananias help us cross the pain lines in your life as well. May fear not stop us being Jesus' witnesses and bringing people into the family of God. So, so far we thought about moving from death to life. We thought about moving from fear to family. And then finally, I know this one got you all interested before, from havoc to havoc. What do I mean by that? Well, the change in Saul's life is immediate and remarkable. Let's pick it up. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All of these who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised, here's our word, havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Don't you just, I, I love this passage, it's amazing. So Saul, who once tried to crush Christ and his church, is now confessing Christ and one of the leaders of the church. 
Saul, who was causing havoc in the churches in Jerusalem, is now causing havoc in the synagogues in Damascus. What's happened? Well, Saul's central identity has changed. He's no longer a Christ fighter. He's now a Christ follower. Saul's thoughts, his motives, his actions, his words are all coming from a heart that has Christ at the center. Saul's personality has not changed. Rather, Jesus is using Saul's personality for witnessing now. So the zeal that he had for hunting Christians has now been used for heralding Christ. And that's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone whose central identity is as a Christ follower. Everything else comes from this identity. So as a Christ follower, it directs what we do with our money. As a Christ follower, it helps us conduct our relationships. As a Christ follower, it defines who and when we have sex. As a Christ follower, it shapes our thoughts, our motives, our words, our actions. And whilst our central identity is a Christ follower, our personalities are to remain different and diverse. Because Jesus wants to use our personalities and our peculiarities. That's not easy to say, I've been practicing that all morning. Try it yourself later. Peculiarities for him. So if you're a quiet and shy person, witness in a quiet and shy way. If you like playing the game, Dungeons and Dragons, get alongside others who like playing that game. If you like playing sports, play them for Jesus. If you're creative or arty or music, use what you have for Christ. If you like reading books, join a book club and ask questions that might lead to conversations about Jesus. Whatever you're like... And whatever you like, be confident that Jesus can use that to be his witness. But be warned, it doesn't always go well. And we're going to finish with this. Look at verses 23 to 25. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in a wall. So people didn't like Saul talking about Jesus. And that would be true for you too. You see, being Christians, it's not about being the most popular person in the class. It's about being faithful with what God wants us to do. And if we're being faithful, we might just cause our own havoc too. You see, the message of Jesus, it's death to those who are perishing and it's life to those who are being saved. Our role is not to guess who God may or may not be hunting down. Our role is not to think about who might not become a Christian. Our role as God's diverse and peculiar people is to go out in the power of the Spirit and talk about the person of Jesus. Friends, no one is beyond the reach of God's sovereign grace. And the people you identified at the start of the sermon, they have one advantage. They have you in their lives. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your work of salvation. It is all by grace. None of us can boast. Father, we want to... We want people we love dearly, people who we know, people who we work close to, live by, to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Father, if you choose to use our witnesses, then we would be privileged and honored to do that. But Father, more than anything, we pray that you would save them, whether it's through our witness or the witness of others, do a work that would bring glory to your name and joy to those people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.